Our scripture this morning is that same text that Sam read to the kids, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. This is Luke's account of the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, an event that took place some ten days, just a little more than a week after Jesus' ascension. I think for most people today, when when they hear of Pentecost, the first thing that comes to their mind is the speaking in tongues. In fact, speaking in tongues is is generally regarded as the defining mark of a Pentecostal church. If if you believe in the speaking of tongues, if you practice the speaking of tongues in your worship services and in your your normal Christian life, then then you are probably a Pentecostal church. If you don't, you're you're not. That's what we consider to be the, the mark of being Pentecostal. And that's understandable when you read the account. Obviously, the speaking in tongues played a central role on the day of Pentecost. But I hope to be able to show you this morning that while speaking in tongues is important, and, and while it does help us to understand the significance of all that was going on on that first day of Pentecost, it's not the main thing. Speaking in tongues is not what Pentecost is primarily about. And to get there, we're going to need to understand, uh, first, what happened on the day of Pentecost. And we we find our answer in verse 4. Look with me there. We're told that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the central event. That is what the day of Pentecost is all about. It was on the day of Pentecost that Jesus poured out his Spirit upon the church, upon all of the believers. And and you'll remember that this is exactly what he had said he was going to do. He He had told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they received the promise of the Father. And he then identified that promise as the baptism of the Spirit, which John had prophesied about all the way back at the beginning of his ministry. And so Jesus, who had commissioned his disciples to be his witnesses, who had had told them to, to go and to make disciples of all nations, even to the ends of the earth, Jesus had said, that is your assignment, but don't start yet. Wait, wait until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wait until you receive the the promise of the Father. And it was here on this day that that promise was fulfilled. It was here on this day that the gift was given. But to truly understand the full significance of Jesus pouring out His Spirit upon the church, to to understand the the significance of, of being baptized with the Spirit in this way, we need to understand something about what the Holy Spirit was doing before this day. What was, the, what was the Holy Spirit up to prior to this first day of Pentecost? Was he, was he simply just waiting? Waiting to, to start the work that, that he had to do? No, not at all. Prior to the day of Pentecost, we can say several things about the Holy Spirit's work. And, and the first thing that we can say is that prior to the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was calling people to repentance and faith. 
Our, our confession speaks of effectual calling. When the, when the Holy Spirit works in a person's heart to, to grant to them repentance unto life and faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. This is the, the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit's calling. And we need to understand that the Holy Spirit has been doing that work from the beginning. We know this first because no one ever came to faith apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. No one ever had faith. It's not like people in the Old Testament came to faith and repentance on their own apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if there were believers in the Old Testament, and there were, if there were those who repented and believed in God's promises in the Old Testament, then we know that the Spirit was at work calling them to repentance and faith. It is only by the work of the Spirit that anyone believes, and so wherever someone believes, we know that the Spirit has been at work. And this is not just a logical deduction. Jesus actually tells us this explicitly. Do you, you remember his conversation in John chapter 3 when he was speaking to Nicodemus, and he's speaking to one of these teachers of Israel, and he said, Do you not know this already? Do you not know that no one enters the kingdom unless they be born again? Do you not know that unless the Spirit blows, no one comes to faith? This was not a, a new thing that he, he was trying to surprise Nicodemus with. This was something he suspected that a teacher of Israel ought to have known because it was clear from the beginning. And so the first thing we can say is that the Spirit had always been calling people to repentance and faith. That's not a new work of the Spirit after Pentecost. Similarly, we can, we can also say that, that prior to the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was sanctifying believers. He was at work in them, conforming them more and more to the image of the, the glory of Christ. Again, we know this for the same reasons. No one ever grows in grace. No one ever grows in holiness. No one ever is sanctified apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. People do not sanctify themselves. People do not cause themselves to, to grow. That is the work of God. That is the work of the Spirit. And so if there were saints in the Old Testament who were being sanctified, and again, there were. There were believers who were growing in grace. There were, there were believers who were being conformed more and more to the, to the image of the glory of, of God's holiness. And if that work was going on, then we know that the Spirit was at work because only the Spirit does that work. Again, we, we see this in a place like Psalm 51 where David pleads that God would create in him a clean heart, that he would sanctify him. And so the Spirit was at work calling people to faith. The Spirit was at work sanctifying believers, conforming them more and more to the image of the glory of God. And significantly, the third thing we can say is that the Spirit was at work empowering and gifting people for ministry prior to the day of Pentecost. We see this explicitly in the Old Testament. We, we can look at the, the, the judges who, who are, were told on many occasions were, were filled with the Spirit. We can think about the, the prophets speaking in the power of the Spirit. We can think about the kings being filled with the Spirit. In fact, we're told explicitly that when David was anointed king, the Spirit came upon him and left Saul. 
Saul no longer was filled with the Spirit to be the king because he was no longer God's anointed. He was no longer God's chosen. David was now the anointed king, and the Spirit came upon him that he might do the work that he had been given to do. And so in the Old Testament, the Spirit was calling people to faith and repentance. In the Old Testament, the Spirit was sanctifying people that they might be conformed to the holiness of God. And in the Old Testament, the Spirit was empowering people for the work of ministry. So what changed on the day of Pentecost? Well, it's a little bit of what Sam's illustration is all about as he tried to cover up all of the kids. Because that's what changed. What changed on the day of Pentecost is that the Spirit was poured out upon every believer. What changed on the day of Pentecost is that every believer was filled, every believer was baptized, every believer was anointed. The, the anointing was, was no longer limited to a select few, to the, to the prophets and to the, and to the kings and to the judges. It was no longer limited to a select few who had been set aside for, for specific work. It was now given to everyone. In fact, this is exactly what, what Peter is going to say in his uh, sermon explaining these events to the crowd that is bewildered. We'll, we'll get to these verses next week, but, but look just briefly at, at verses 16 and following. When Peter stands up to explain what's going on, he says, This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. On your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. All people will be filled with the Spirit. All people will be empowered and equipped for the work of ministry that has been prepared for them to do. That's what changes on the day of Pentecost. It's not a new Spirit. The Spirit has always been. He was there at the very beginning hovering over the waters, and He has always been at work. No one has ever come to faith. No one has ever grown in grace apart from the Spirit's work. But now the Spirit is given to every believer in a fresh new way, in a way that, that was reserved only for the prophets and only for the kings and only for the, for the judges in the Old Testament. Every believer is now clothed with power. Every believer is now empowered and equipped for the work of ministry. You see, last week we, we saw that, that Jesus had to shore up the foundation of the church because he had selected 12 apostles to, to be that foundation with himself as the cornerstone. He was going to, to build the church upon their proclamation upon the faith that they once for all delivered to the saints. Not every believer is an apostle. Never, not every believer is, is part of the foundation. The, the apostles had a, had a unique authority. But the apostles were not the only ones called to do the work of ministry. The apostles were not the, the only ones called to, to make and equip mature disciples of, of Jesus Christ. 
On the contrary, that commission was given to the church. It was given to every believer. Every believer is called to to be engaged in this work. Every believer is is called to be uh, at work building up the church towards maturity in Christ. Every member of the body, as Paul says, has a job to do. They have a role to play in this ongoing work. They don't all play the same role. Not everyone's an eye, not everyone's a mouth, not everyone's an ear. But they all have a role to play. And at Pentecost, every believer was baptized with the Holy Spirit for the work that they had been given to do. At Pentecost, every believer was empowered and equipped for the role they were given to play in the making and equipping of mature disciples. That is what Pentecost is all about. Pentecost is about the the outpouring of the Spirit upon all believers for the work of ministry. And we need to have that clearly in our minds as we Begin as we begin to try to understand the rest of the the details that that Luke gives us, because it is this central event, the, the outpouring of the Spirit upon all believers for the work of ministry, that helps us to understand the rest of what goes on in this passage. First, it it helps us understand why Jesus chose to, to pour out the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Notice again what, what Luke says there in verse 1. He says, When the day of Pentecost arrived. Now again, we we tend to associate Pentecost with the outpouring of the Spirit. We think that's what Pentecost means, but but Pentecost was a feast that they had been celebrating ever since it was first revealed to Moses thousands of years prior. This was one of the feasts that God had originally given to His people. Pentecost wasn't made up on the day that the Spirit was poured out. Pentecost was one of the annual feasts that the Jews celebrated. It was one of the times when when Jews from all over were required to, to, to take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and to be there for the worship of God. And significantly, Pentecost was the harvest, or was the feast of harvest. It was, it was the celebration of the, the first fruits of the harvest that was going to be brought in. And it is because of that symbolism that Jesus choo- chooses to, to pour out the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We, we know this because of the word that Luke uses when he, when he says that the day of Pentecost arrived. That, that word is actually more often translated something like fulfilled. The day that Pentecost was fulfilled. This is what happened on the day when Pentecost was fulfilled. When all that Pentecost had, had promised and all that Pentecost had, had represented came to pass, not in a material harvest of wheat, but in the first fruits of the harvest that God had planned from the beginnings of history. It was on the day of Pentecost that God's harvest, that that the harvest of His people, all the people that He would bring in, all the people that He would draw to Himself, it was on that day that the harvest began. And that helps us to understand that the outpouring of of the Spirit on Pentecost is for the harvest. In order to, to equip the people for this work of harvest. Again, when we think about Pentecost, we, we tend to focus on tongues. We, we tend to, to focus on the, the gifts of the Spirit. But we must first focus upon the gift of the Spirit Himself. 
Because it is the gift of the Spirit. It is, it is the gift of the Spirit to all believers. It is the baptism of all believers. It is the empowering of all believers for the work of ministry. That is the central event of the day of Pentecost. And it is only when we understand that Pentecost is about the gift of the Spirit Himself for the work of harvesting that we can begin to understand what the other spiritual gifts are for. I don't have time to, to uh, say everything that needs to be said about spiritual gifts this morning. We'll, we'll, I'm sure, come back to this question again in our study of the book of Acts. But remember what Paul said in, in his longest discussion of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. He again and again told the Corinthians that, that gifts had been given for a reason. Gifts had been given so that the, the members of the body might build one another up towards maturity in Christ. That is the purpose of, of gifts. And it's the purpose of the Spirit's gifts because it's the purpose of the gift of the Spirit Himself. The Spirit is given to believers that they might engage in the work of ministry. And the work of ministry that they've been given to do is the work of harvest, the work of making mature disciples of Jesus Christ. And when we begin to see that this is what Pentecost is all about, that, that Pentecost is about equipping every believer to take part in the, the work of ministry which had been given to the church, the, the work of making mature disciples, it is when we see this first that we can begin to make sense of the signs that accompanied the gift. Luke mentions three signs in particular. There are three signs here that, that Luke talks about. The first is, is wind, and then we have fire, and then thirdly we have tongues. Three signs that accompany the outpouring of the Spirit. And again, as I've said, we, we tend to focus on tongues, and that's not wrong because Luke actually gives more attention to tongues than he does to the other two signs. But let's first look at those other two signs just briefly. First, we're, we're told that suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house. So the disciples are, are still in that house where they had, had gathered, where they had chosen Matthias, where they had gathered for, for prayer. They are in that house, and as they are gathered, as they are praying, suddenly there is the sound of a mighty rushing wind. You may have heard, you may have been in your own home when, when, when a storm rolled across. You may have even been at the beach when, when a tropical storm or even a, a hurricane came in. We, we know the, the power of wind. We know what it sounds like. We, we know the power of wind. And that is exactly what this is meant to indicate. This is a, a, a picture of the Spirit coming in power. Which again is exactly what, what Jesus said would happen. He said that his disciples would be clothed with power. And so the Spirit comes, and when he comes, it is a powerful event. The Spirit comes like a violent wind, like a mighty rushing wind. But in the, the imagery of the Old Testament, the wind is not just power. It is a life-giving power. Think of Ezekiel 37. You remember the, the scene. Ezekiel is, is shown a, a valley of, of dry bones, and he's asked, can these bones live? 
And of course, he defers. He says, well, Lord, you know. <laughs> you know what, you're, what you've got planned. And then the, the, he says he hears a sound. It's the rattling of the bones and the bones coming together. And our, our children like to learn anatomy singing about Ezekiel chapter 37. And, and all the bones come together, the foot bone and the ankle bone and the leg bone. And all of it comes together, but there's still no life. And then Ezekiel is told, prophesy to the breath. And what we need to understand is that the word for breath is the same word for wind, which is actually the same word for spirit. And so this could just as well be translated prophesy to the wind or, or prophesy to the, the spirit. The imagery is all swirled together. Prophesy to the wind. And when he does, the wind blows. It comes into them. And they live. The wind is a breath of life. It is a life-giving power. And so what we see in, the, in the, 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 the imagery of the wind is that the disciples are being clothed with the power of life. The power to proclaim the words of life to those who are dead in such a way that they will respond and live. In such a way that dead bones will become living individuals. That's the power that's being given to the disciples. Not just to the apostles, but to all the disciples. From the least to the greatest in the eyes of the world. The power to proclaim the words of life such that the dead might become alive in Christ. The second imagery is fire. Again, we see this in verse 3. We're told that, And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Again, this is an Old Testament image. Fire represents the very presence of God. Think of the burning bush where, where Moses first encountered Yahweh. It was a, a bush that was burning but not consumed. It looked like fire. It was as of fire. It had the appearance of, of fire, but it was something other than natural fire. It was the very presence of God. Or think of the, the pillar of fire that, that led them out of Egypt and, and through the wilderness. It was the presence of God with His people, protecting His people. Or think of the fire that descended upon Mount Sinai. It was God in His very presence descending upon the mount such that the people could not up, uh, come up the mountain or yet lest they die. Fire again and again and again represents the very power of God. And it reminds us that the power that the disciples have received on the day of Pentecost is not some impersonal force. It is not mere power. But they are being filled with the very person of God Himself. God will go with them. God will be at work in them to do the things which He has given them to do. It is the personal presence of God with every believer. Notice that. What's different about this fire than of other fires that we have seen is that this fire is divided. 
This fire comes to rest on each one of them. It is not one fire over the house. It is not one fire in the room. It is a flame of fire that comes to rest on each one of them. And so God is not promising to be simply with his people corporately as he has been before, but he is now with and in each of them individually. Every member, again, is being equipped with the very power of God himself for the work of ministry that has been prepared for them to do. And so we have power in the person of Christ filling every believer so they might engage in the work of ministry. And we get an insight into that work when we look at this third sign. The gift of tongues. We read again that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what is this all about? What is the the speaking in tongues all about? Well, we will return to it again and again in our study of Acts because this is not the only time that we will encounter tongues. So I I can't say everything that needs to be said this morning. But if we're going to begin to understand what the gift of tongues is all about, we first need to understand what the gift of tongues is. We need to understand that that here in Acts chapter 2, the gift of tongues is not merely some sort of ecstatic experience. It is not merely some experience where where you you begin to to speak in something other than English and and you begin to to express your, your deep emotions. You see, these disciples are speaking in known languages. They're speaking in languages that they did not learn in school, that they did not learn at home. These are not languages that they would have otherwise known, and yet they are speaking in such a way that the native-born understand them perfectly. We, we see this beginning in, in verse 5. Look again at what Luke writes. He says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now that doesn't mean... That, that the gift of tongues is a hearing miracle. Some sometimes claim that, but, but Luke made it abundantly clear in verse 4 that they were speaking in tongues, that, that they were speaking as the Spirit gave them utterance. Speaking in tongues is a speaking gift, but when someone speaks, others hear. And so when they are speaking in these languages, others are hearing them speak in these languages, and they are amazed. They are amazed because not only are these people not from their hometown, but they are uneducated Galileans. These are not the people you expect to to be fluent in some foreign dialect. And yet, by the power of the Spirit, they are speaking, and those who are gathered there are hearing, each one in his own language, it says. And they were amazed and astonished. And then he begins to tell us the the nations from which they had come. We're tracking those nations really across the entire known world. People from every nation had come to Jerusalem for the feast, for Pentecost. And now, on the day of Pentecost, the imagery of that feast is being fulfilled because the church is given the power to speak to every tongue and to every nation. 
And it is a reminder that with Jesus' resurrection and ascension, the gospel has broken forth and is now going not just to the Jews, but to the ends of the earth. Even as Jesus had said, you will make disciples of all nations. And that is what the picture of tongues is all about. The church is empowered to speak the gospel to every nation with life-giving power. That is what the gift of tongues is all about. And so we need to understand that on the day of Pentecost, yes, people spoke in in miraculous tongues, and, and that is a gift of the Holy Spirit But it was given to them in accompanying the the gift of the Spirit Himself, which was given to all believers, so that all believers might engage in the work of ministry, the, the, the work of making disciples. And the tongues reminds us that that disciple making work is a work that's not limited to one people, it's not limited to one group, it's not limited to, to one place, but it is a work that is to be extended even to the ends of the earth. That is what Pentecost is all about. It is the beginning of God's great harvest, where he is drawing to himself people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And we must remember that this event, this this event was the beginning of the new age. Remember what Joel said, in the last days. This is the beginning of those last days, and we still live in those last days, and the effects of Pentecost still stand today. It was not just those first 120 disciples who were clothed with power for the work of ministry, but this was the beginning of God's new normal for His church, so that from this point on, every believer... Every every member of the church will be clothed with power for the work of ministry even until the end of the age. The Spirit has been given to the church irrevocably. And every believer, that that means all of us gathered here this morning who, who believe in Jesus Christ, we have been clothed with power for the work of ministry. We sometimes forget this because we... We don't see the same extraordinary signs. But the signs were never meant to be the main thing. The signs were just that. They were were signs. They were signs to explain the beginning. The the beginning of of what was going on. They were were pointing to to an explanation of of why uh, this, this grand event, this bewildering event had taken place. They were there to help Jesus' disciples make sense of this extraordinary event. But the gift of the Spirit was the main thing. And the gift of the Spirit is still given to every believer. As Paul says in Ephesians, all the immeasurable power of God is at work in all those who believe. And so what we see in this is that we are to be Pentecostal Christians. Maybe not in the way that that term is defined today. We we can have our, our differences. But if we do not understand that we are Pentecostal Christians, then we are blind to the wonder of the gift that is ours through Jesus Christ's resurrection and 
ascension. We have been clothed with power for the work of ministry. And this ought to set us free to engage in that ministry with a bold confidence. We sometimes wonder whether we really have what it takes to build one another up towards maturity in Christ. Do I, do I really have anything to offer to, to uh, the brothers and sisters who, who sit in the pews with me Sunday after, after Sunday? Do I really have what it takes to, to help them grow towards maturity in Christ? Or is that simply something that the pastors and maybe the elders are supposed to do? Remember Pentecost. You have been clothed with power. You have been gifted and equipped to participate in that work of ministry so that Paul can say in Ephesians 4 that the role of the pastors and the, and the elders is not to do all the work, but to actually help you learn how to use the power that is at your disposal. You can speak the truth. You can speak words of life into the lives of your neighbors. You can encourage, you can build up, you can strengthen because you are clothed with power. And if the people sitting in the pews around you are clothed with power to help you grow, then it means that you need to make yourself vulnerable to their input. You need to open your life to them because it's through their words and through their work that you are going to grow. And so not only do you need to speak, but you need to allow yourself to be spoken to because we are a people clothed with power for the work of ministry. But of course, this work of ministry is not merely internal. It is also external. Yes, building up those who gather for worship towards maturity in Christ is part of the Great Commission. It is part of making disciples. But so is taking that gospel beyond our walls to those who do not yet believe. And if we are intimidated to share the gospel with one another, we are even more intimidated to share the gospel with our unbelieving neighbors. It is a fearful thing, and rightfully so. Paul said that when you speak the, the words of, of Christ, you are speaking either words of life or words of death. It will not be uneventful for you to share the gospel with a neighbor. It is a weighty thing. But you have been clothed with power that you might confess Christ before your neighbors as the reason for your hope. Not every believer is an evangelist. Not every believer is, is gifted to make a full gospel presentation. But every believer has the ability to confess Christ as the reason for their hope and to point people to the only one who has the words of life. And you have been clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit to do that in a way that bears fruit. You see, if God is intending to gather in his harvest through you, then you can be confident that he will work through you, even when your efforts seem pitiful to yourself. You see, God is a God who can give growth. God is a God who can do amazing things. God is a God who can draw people to himself. And he has chosen to use his church to accomplish that purpose. And because he has given us the privilege of participating in his harvest, and because he has empowered us to do it effectively, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Let us believe it together. 
Father God, we rejoice in your goodness and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gift of the Spirit. And we ask humbly, Father, that you would teach us to work in the power of the Spirit to accomplish those things which you have prepared in advance for us to do. To the praise of your glory and the good of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>